0: This and Dutch
1: Dyslexia Audio Transmission Welcome to Dis and Dash, the podcast from Dyslexia Ireland. My name is Amy Smith and I am the information and advocacy coordinator here. We are joined by the lovely uh, Anna Devon, who is a soprano singer, Um, and we're going to talk to her about her dyslexia, and we're also joined by Rosie.
2: Hi, Amy, how are you? Delighted to be here.
1: (laughs) Um, Anna, we usually kick off the podcast just by
0: asking you kind of who you are and what you do. Uh, So I'm Anna Devon, and I'm from Dublin, and I'm an opera singer. As you said, I'm a soprano. If that means anything to anybody, great. If it doesn't, it means I sing kind of high excellent thank you for the clarification (laughs) i had it down and i didn't actually realize what it meant
1: so i'm delighted that you you explained it to be honest um that's brilliant so uh what we are going to do is we have this lovely hat as you can see i've decorated with musical notes for you so you'd feel at home um so we're gonna have a rummage around and we're going to pick out our first question are there any easter eggs in there uh, there's an Easter egg for you afterwards. Okay, I didn't want to cu- I didn't want it to melt and kind of melt onto the stuff, so we're 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 gonna <laughs> uh, we're gonna keep them separate. So, um, oh, this is a nice one to start. So, uh, who has been the person that has kind of been the greatest support for you in your life, around dyslexia, so either as a child or in school or in your adult
0: life. Definitely my mum. Yeah, Nikki Devon is her name. Well, actually, shout it, out Nikki Nikki, Nikki, yes. Nikki, Nikki Devon Clark. Because she's remarried, but my mum was. Uh, the rock for me uh, in terms of battling with people to get them to actually get me diagnosed in the first place and standing by me the whole way through my childhood, my teens and even now as an adult, um, she was always there and she always made me feel like um, people saying no to you wasn't acceptable and that there was always a way through yeah. everything and I think that's actually an incredibly important message to teach any child that has Definitely. any problems with anything, mm-hmm. let alone you know dyslexia just happened to be one of them. So um, yeah, I think she is has made me the person I am today and made me cope with it. So I have to thank her from the bottom of my heart. I'll we'll do a big shout out yeah. to Nikki.
2: <laughs> to Nikki and to all the Irish mummies. Yeah, I suppose yeah. all this, that's a, a common uh, probably factor that we see that yeah, the power of the Irish mammy in terms yeah. of being the champion for child and giving you that determination and uh, motivation yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah. fantastic
1: and you kind of spoke a little bit about there about your mom kind of pushing to get your diagnosis so um could you tell us maybe what age you were when you got diagnosed or what that experience is like for you um
0: yeah I think I was about six or seven I think I was around six um and it was uh in St. John of God's in oh just off the Slorgan Road I mean one Of the things I've realized of being dyslexic is that I'm a very visual person, so yeah. my memories are all very visual. I can still remember going there, I can still remember the tests that they gave me, yeah, I still remember playing it. And I just thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do all of these cool things that I wasn't like at school. Um, and I think it was the Dyslexia Association of Ireland that had the tests on at that time. Um, and so I was diagnosed, and um, yeah, I was in uh presentation tenure and the nuns didn't really want to believe that i actually had a problem so the diagnosis was very helpful but i ended up moving school because i wasn't getting the support that i needed there at that time um but for me i do feel very blessed that i found out so young yeah and for me that's something that's really important about dyslexia because my father is dyslexic i mean it often runs in families yeah um And he met my mum when he was about 22. And my mum was able to kind of recognise that there was something going on with him because he really wouldn't read any books. And he was never treated in a way. He never got any help in the same way that I did. And he is a great reader now, probably because of my mum's support in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't think he had a good time in school. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important that there's more awareness when kids are young rather than when they all of a sudden come upon a big problem, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: I was diagnosed when I was seven as well, and yeah. I think that uh, when you're doing this job, you meet people who are diagnosed at lots of different ages. Yeah. And I think it certainly shapes your attitude towards yourself because you know you have a name for your issue. Yeah. Um. Do you did you kind of notice that you were a little bit different when you were learning with think, other
0: kids? Or yeah, uh? I think that's. Yeah, it was when I started having trouble in school at reading that my. Um, that my mom got me actually tested, even though she had an idea before because my sister's so great with reading. Yeah. If I'd been born first, I don't know whether she would have necessarily known Noticed, until yes, as quickly. Yeah, yeah. It, it probably would have been maybe eight or nine, because mm-hmm. she would have realised my sister, if it was who she is yeah. now, was a great reader. Um, but, uh, yeah, having... it. Well, I've forgotten what you said there. The no,
1: I just so did you text. notice the difference? And oh, like, having the name. Even in secondary school, kind of the difference between the way you would learn or the way other kids would yeah, learn, kind of...
0: Yeah, I did, and um, I found it incredibly frustrating, because I... the. I think the reason I got so stressed by it was because I just wanted to do what everyone else was doing Yeah, and I couldn't understand like I am naturally quite academic and my brain like I'm very good at, at maths and science and music and art it was just the subjects very much around reading and language that I struggled with like history and English and, um, and I because I could do well in maths I found it very frustrating that mm-hmm. I couldn't get the same results in English and it didn't seem to matter what I did my head just felt like a jumble whereas in maths I had complete clarity so We're the
1: exact opposite in terms right. of our Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's all, that's all from the case, yeah. <laughs> Rosie sometimes comes towards me with, like, numbers on a sheet, yeah. and my face just goes white, and yeah. I hope that she's going to the shredder and not to me.
0: Yeah, I know, I know.
2: I will vouch that that is correct, yes. It's funny,
0: actually, because I, I stayed back at school when I was about nine, when I moved schools, and to me and I had a, the most fantastic teacher um, who taught the Froebel method, And I stayed back a year because they felt actually it would be better for me. And me and this other girl, Pamela, stayed back. And I remember that because she had no trouble with English and reading, but could not do maths. And then I was there struggling with the English, even just reading. Now, Mm -hmm. she still needed help with spellings and all that kind of thing. But we were so different. And Mm -hmm. actually, to see that quite young and to realise actually dyslexia, in a way, it is a a kind of huge covering name for Mm -hmm. basically just loads of different types of brains.
2: Yeah, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All these different patterns of strengths and weaknesses yeah. that people have. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I didn't like being different. And I, you know, I've learned as I got older that actually to be different is a great thing. And mm-hmm. that's actually a gift. So. I t- uh, when I speak to
1: parents I, I say to them generally that like yeah it's awful for your 11 year old to be different oh, yeah. but when they're 19 and they come home from college and they've dyed their hair blue and they've everything pierced and exactly. an extraordinary <laughs> strive to be different then you'll be able to remind them that they're already a bit different
0: exactly yeah good point I did go through a piercing phase <laughs> <laughs> and I had blue hair there so we go it must be a dyslexic <laughs> thing
2: and I suppose in a way the career that you've ended that you've ended up into in in some ways is also a way of something that would be quite different uh, true for a lot of people as well I know
0: it's weird because Mm -hmm. for me it's just me and you know I think about it a lot my sister's got a great job in Facebook she just moved home to Ireland last year she'd been in London we'd both been in England and I kind of look and I go into her to meet her and I actually went in and talked to her colleagues I gave them a performance chat in the autumn to talk to them about um, how they dealt with like speaking in front of people and Mm -hmm. the techniques that I would use and dealing with nerves and stuff like that, which was really interesting to go into an office environment because for me, that's so weird compared to my life. Yeah, But it's so normal for most people in the world to work in an office. But i kind of like, oh, what if I'd gone down that road? And I do think about it a lot, especially since I had my daughter, if Mm -hmm. I'd gone down through a more traditional road. Mm -hmm. And I used to imagine myself potting around in an office. I think it was more so I could wear stiletto heels and nice suits (laughs) rather than actually... um, what I was actually going to do. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, like, I would love to have tried that route, but then for me, being a singer is the kind of... It's just what I feel like is the right thing. The reason I changed into music was because I was studying Bachelor of Science in Multimedia in DCU, and I was really struggling with the reading. And I thought, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I I'm I'm 21. I've spent my whole time in education struggling with reading. I mean, I can read, and, like, I'm not that bad but if it's complex ideas reading is not the format that I can absorb it I need to speak to people mm-hmm. and visually learn it a different way um but I just thought why am I doing this when it's hard you know yes. there's other things that you're good at try and find some other route
2: so tell us how you ended up having this uh, wonderful but slightly unconventional career in classical music well,
0: it first started when I was about, around the age I was diagnosed with dyslexia, around six or seven, my mum took me to see um, The Marriage of Figaro at The Gaiety. Mm-hmm. I think it was Dublin Grand Opera they were called at that time. And I remember also we saw The Magic Flute, which is what I'm home to do at the moment, um, in The Gaiety, mm-hmm. at the year later, and I completely fell in love with opera there. Now, I was, I was already interested in classical music. I, I started playing the piano when I was five or six, and later did the recorder clarinet. So classical music always spoke to me and I recall when the CD players came out my dad bought my mom one and we have this Mozart CD and Mozart in particular I just I just completely fell in love with it so it was always in my heart but then you know I went I went through school blah 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 and I then I I envisaged myself being like like you Rosie a CEO of some company um <laughs> and I thought I was going to drive a Mercedes and I had a flashy car and I would have all these things and that I mean, whether that, I had no idea what I, how I was going to get there, but I decided that was what I wanted to do. And everybody at school, um, my mum included, everybody said I should look at going into a career in music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and deep, 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 deep down inside, I think if someone said, oh, just follow your heart and don't worry about the money, I would have done that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I don't know what it's like now. So I left school in 2000. Like It was really common that everybody would go and do a degree. If you did okay in school... Yeah. Um, rather than what my mum suggested being very wise, go and do a certificate or a diploma and try and kind of work out. Because actually there were so many things I felt like I actually had the ability to do. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but probably maybe fundamentally because I just wanted to be a singer. Yeah. Um, but I fought against that and I went and I did a Bachelor of Science in Multimedia at DCU and the course was only a year old. Um, I don't know if it's around anymore because I haven't looked Um. And There was quite a lot of practical stuff in it, but there was also um, essays and stuff like that. And I recall in the second year, just being in the library, reading this book, I rec- remember the name of the essay was Multimedia is a Science Discuss. And I remember just being like, oh, like <laughs> what? And reading, you know, they give you this huge reading list. Yeah. And I just be like, look, I didn't read any of the books because I cannot read complex books like that. It just doesn't work for me and reading the same page 20 times to try and get this essay going i'm like what am i doing and it coincided with i was learning in the academy of music i was still having singing lessons Mm -hmm. i'd had singing lessons the whole way through school and i was still having singing lessons on the side even though i was most of the time i'd been out partying all weekend so i was quite tired (laughs) (laughs) but it coincided with the time that i actually ended up changing music teachers because my our singing teachers my singing teacher actually um left he retired and I ended up with uh, one of my very good friends now and singing teacher, Colette McGann. um And I think it was probably the timing of this essay and me just going, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't find this easy. And switching music teachers and feeling like I had, maybe she was more open uh, and I asked her and I was like, what do you think? And she was like, oh, I never thought you were even interested in that. I was And my mum was very clever in making sure she spoke to her separately to ask her, did she really think I had the goods to actually make a career mm-hmm. out of it? because my mum said she never would have encouraged me if that wasn't the case because it's such a hard industry to be in mm-hmm. and it's oversaturated and there's not enough work and it's worse now than it was 10 years ago or yeah. 15 years mm-hmm. ago. So yeah, so um, then I decided I'd take a year out and uh, make up my own course. So I did as much music stuff as possible. I deferred my degree because I yeah. did not want to give up. Yeah. Just in case I decided to go back anyway, mm-hmm. I never went back. I went to the academy and I did a degree in performance and here I am. And the only reason I question it now is because the lifestyle is very hard and I've got a daughter, but I can't imagine ever giving up Yeah, because mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Your face as well. It's really yeah. hard on a
1: podcast to show, but your face when you're speaking about music is lovely. You're yeah. so happy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so it's very obvious that it, it is a true calling for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, That's oh, completely. And yeah. You, you know, like... I, I suppose unless somebody came and sat in rehearsals like which you don't do that often because the rehearsal process it does need to be not somewhat private because if there's people watching you you don't let you might feel that people can feel a little inhibited yeah but like I'm basically paid to like prance around the stage and like have a laugh with my colleagues <laughs> and we're basically it's like play it's like playing like dress up yeah <laughs> you know when you're actually rehearsing now there's an awful lot of hard parts of, of this. Yes. yeah, yeah. But fundamentally, when you're in rehearsal, like I love performing and I love being on stage, but I love the process for me. It's not just about the performance um, in opera in particular. I just love like, who is this person that I'm trying to create and mm-hmm. what are the things that make this person? And then like bouncing off the other people mm-hmm. that you have. And I just love people. And I think that really in our job, loving people is very helpful because mm-hmm. I kind of can just use the energy of all the people around me to create this other person that isn't
2: me and I get to dress up and dressing up is some of the best parts of my job I mean it sounds fun. yeah <laughs> and probably much better than a suit and high heels as a CEO I would I think, say so. As well. I think so yeah I think the costumes are probably much better I. Th- I think so yeah
0: yeah probably yeah, yeah yeah but I can't wear a suit and high heels to work because we have to be able to roll around the floor and that kind of thing so. of
2: course
1: I've been dying to ask this question ever since I found out that um, you were coming in. And it is that I'm sure, like, I've seen some of your work and you've had to do, you sing in uh, Italian and German and all this. And as a fellow dyslexic, I just can think of nothing more
0: intimidating than having to learn and sing through another language. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, that's the the one element of the job that my dyslexia would have played a, a role in. For me, music is has never been an issue I was always able to read music and I understand that there are some dyslexics they struggle with the reading of music and there's loads of different ways but for me the music was a bit like maths Mm -hmm. it just made Mm -hmm. sense to me but the text was a whole different ball game so I do remember thinking about that when I decided I wanted to go into singing and I really did struggle with it at the beginning but the way I kind of learned how to do it at the start was that I would use the music to basically learn things through the syllables Mm -hmm which wasn't ideal because it took me a long time to actually be able to really communicate what I yeah. was saying. But that was kind of my process. you know. And I would say to any singer who's learning, you must always start with the text. Um, you need to know what you're saying, da-da-da-da. But the thing that is so great about being a singer and actually a musician having to learn stuff all the time, particularly, particularly I think an opera singer because you're learning so much text, yeah. mm-hmm. is that you have to learn how you learn. And I think yeah. maybe because I'm dyslexic, I've had to work a little bit harder. With that, but it's made me a bit more inquisitive. And actually, I'm really interested to see how lots of people learn mm-hmm. because I've learned. Oh, actually, you're not that bad at languages. You just can't learn them the way you kind of wish you could. Yeah. And it's going to take you longer. So I now kind of have my methods. But so um, the magic flute is in German, die Zauberflute. It's called, and um, it's actually a Zingspiel. So it's called a song play. Is is that what it is? So. Instead of all of the text being um, sung, some of it's a dialogue. So yeah. I'm doing oh. German dialogue. And that's mm-hmm. much harder for me to learn mm-hmm. than the music. Yeah. Because the music kind of goes in. Do you know. But um, So I've kind of found my methods. But I did have a, two um, teachers. I was in Covent Garden. I was a young artist in the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. And I had one-on-one Italian and German t- teaching. Now, I wish I'd had more time to see more of them. Because actually just sitting in a room with someone speaking to you yeah. in that language... Mm-hmm not letting you speak in English mm-hmm. makes yeah. a big difference. Yes, But both of them separately said I had a natural flair for languages. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sorry, you know, and that for me was a big moment, a big, um, like, yeah. moment. Yes. yeah. Because actually I kind of thought, oh no, you you know, you don't need to fight it all the time, you just yeah. need to find your way. And they were teaching me visually, and I remember when I was trying to learn the directions in German, I remember my German teacher, her name is Katja Palmer, and she was lovely. And she actually did a little road, made a little road in Mm -hmm. the room. And I had to walk along and then say I was going rechts and then I was going links and I was going straight ahead or whatever. And I remembered it. And I remember she put a hospital in, which is Krankenhaus. And like, I remember all these words because Mm -hmm. she did a physical journey. So for me, I learn visually, I learn physically is very important. And I think that's why opera is such a good fit for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Because once I start moving around the room, like, so we started rehearsals for Magic Flute on Monday and I said to the director i was like you know i'm i still haven't quite got the dialogue off i'm nearly there and she was like oh that's great i'd much rather that we could kind of get into the place so like when you actually have you know the understanding of okay what exactly is my character thinking in this point and then i'm changing positions mm-hmm. and i speak to this guy or the um concept of space is massively important to me in learning mm-hmm. and actually i've discovered which i wish i'd known all of this when i was at school even trying to learn um even trying to learn stuff for, like, ju- leaving in junior search. and Like, you've got reams and reams of, say, poetry or, you know, weird words and biology, all uh-huh. of that kind of stuff. I wish I'd known what I know now, which is that I learn very well when I'm walking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I write stuff on a piece of paper, and then I do different colours and stuff, and I go for a walk, um, and it goes into my head. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all of those years I spent studying at a table was completely, like... Yeah, like we speak to
1: teachers a lot and we say kind of uh-huh. that idea that you sit and write something out 50 times is just so like far away from how yeah. people actually learn and everybody actually learns. But like if you went up to my desk, it's like Rainbow bright, got sick in it. I yes. like... I have, like, post-it notes everywhere. I have highlighters everywhere. I respond really well to colours. So when I'm writing notes to myself, I do it in, like, four different colours to make sure different things stand out to me. So I think that there is that idea that sometimes people think you're not learning if you're doing something else. So you're not learning if you're walking or you're not learning if you're colouring in on your piece of paper. But that's just so not the
0: case. No, and for me, like I said, when I came in here, I just wish the dialogue would go in by osmosis. But actually, if you set your brain up in the right way and you've done, you know, say I would start by writing it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And then it's in my writing and then I'm like, okay, I don't quite know that bit or whatever. But then I do try and let osmosis help me by Mm -hmm. just letting it tick over in the back of my mind or I'll be walking along. You know, I was on the way in here. Mm -hmm. I was kind of looking at the window doing something else, but I was just going through the words of something. But rather than for me, actually the big thing with dyslexia is if I focus my eyes to a point, my brain shuts down.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about
0: focusing my eyes as big as possible. Mm -hmm. And I need the space to learn. And actually that goes, the it's the opposite. Maybe someone else is is the other way. But
2: when you think about reading, it's not
0: surprising. I find it
2: difficult, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I suppose it's the thing of the flexibility that a lot of people need. And unfortunately yeah. our school systems and even the design of our schools in terms of the space limitations and everyone has your your one desk, your one chair. Yeah. They don't really often have the physical spaces that we need or yeah. even sometimes the mental attitude, and flexibility yeah. to allow people to, you know, if you get up and walk around in the classroom, chances are you'll get given out to no, rather than I never, I teacher like recognizing that actually you know what maybe this this individual does need to learn by moving. Yeah, you know.
0: And actually, sometimes to stand up mm-hmm. rather than just be yeah. sitting down, just stand by the wall. And it's mm-hmm. not that you're not listening, but actually yeah. you've just moved space. So say they've been ta- chatting to you for twenty minutes, and at that point you might be just beginning to switch off. Yeah. If I get up and I move to another position, my brain will switch on again. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're
1: reactivating your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: also if I if I'm trying to learn something, I move to different parts of my house. so if I am actually sitting down working I'll do some work in the dining room and then I'll move into the kitchen and then if someone comes in and talks to me in the middle and I'm still doing this actually the more I'm distracted in a way the more my brain works yeah (laughs) Yeah. I have to focus but I have to have distraction too yeah Yeah. I think that and I think
1: there is that idea like that no no you know the only way to learn is one specific way but it's definitely not the case in our experience No. kind of learning and and things like that is there a teacher that either you know in school or secondary school or uh when you were training um that really kind of got you and got how things learned I know you were speaking about kind of the the German teacher and stuff but in general
0: like in really- school yeah so the the best teacher I ever had was a lady called Mrs Howe and I think her name was Nula Howe but I was it was between the age of nine and 13 I had her I ended up having for two and a half years because I went into Alexander College I yeah. ended up moving into the junior school there mm-hmm. Because my parents were looking for a secondary school for my sister and they decided it would be easier for both of us to go into the junior school so we could filter in Obviously, because we, yeah, we, yeah. Mo- we moved house. Mm-hmm. So I was quite lucky because I know it is a private school and now that I'm a parent I'm like, well, do you really you know want to spend the money on that? <laughs> <laughs> you have to find the best thing. It depends yeah, on the yeah, child you have. Mm-hmm. But those years were the best years for me. So I had her for half a year. And then I stayed back and then by chance she ended up moving up the class with me and she taught me everything about learning to spell. She taught me everything about trusting myself. Like she was those years are the years of my education out of everything that I remember the most from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can see the stuff that we did. I can remember. Like I don't remember in detail, but I'm pretty sure if I went to read about the pilgrims, I remember we did a huge project on the pilgrims that I would I'd read it and I'd be like, oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I remember. Mm-hmm. So she
0: was a godsend. And mm-hmm. actually the whole... I just loved the junior school at Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mrs. Trudy Grafton is now principal. Well, she was anyway the last time I was in there. And she was in the... She was at the class below me and she was very supportive as well. And, mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so I just... I kind of feel like that was a massive turning point for me in my journey yeah. as mm-hmm. a dyslexic person. And I'm not sure whether she's actually still alive now. I don't know. I think I would heard that she passed away. But I could be wrong if you're happening if you happen to be listening. Um, As
1: well, though, she just, you know, she's left that legacy and, like, you're speaking about her years yeah. and years later mm-hmm. and
0: and that's a lovely thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, she was fabulous. And I had one other teacher that was amazing, too. And her name was Miss Reardon. And I don't know what her actual first name was. It was in fifth year. Mm-hmm. So it was my first year of leaving search, and she was my English teacher. And um, she was, I remember being quite young and very, like, just a strong woman. I remember just being like, wow. <laughs> um, and she, yeah, I remember we did um, the Lord of the Flies, and we think we did the play Burn of the Western World and Pride and Prejudice that year. And I learned more in that year than I'd learned from any teacher, um, in secondary school for ing- from an English yeah, perspective. Mm-hmm. And I've. I remember, actually, because she ended up leaving. She only... I don't know if she spent one or two years in the school, but mm-hmm. she was only there for... I only had her for a year. Mm-hmm. She was headhunted, I think, by the government for something. Okay. Which is not surprising. She yeah. Was, I think she was very bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she was a special person. And I remember, because in sixth year, I had another English teacher, and I didn't learn a single thing. So I actually, in the end, I think... I Recall deciding to try and leave English class, and I'd go to this library and I'd try and do the stuff that I'd done with mm-hmm. my other yeah. English teacher. Yeah, and if I hadn't had her for that year, there's no way I would have got a C in on yeah. English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, because I did everything I learned in fifth year is what I wrote in the Leaving year paper, yeah. nothing mm-hmm. I did the following year. <laughs> okay, she was amazing. Yeah, I was I, I'm just sad that I didn't have her sooner and I didn't have her for longer. Yeah, yeah because yeah. I felt like for the first time I didn't feel stupid saying. So I was like, oh, well, the sunflower in that poet means, obviously means the opening of the soul or something like that. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, how, why? It just says sunflower. (laughs) I don't understand why it means that. And she would explain it to me and didn't ever make me feel stupid. Yeah. Which I think was one of the best things about her. Okay. So,
2: and what, and do you think that it was that, that almost her her empathy and her openness that made her such a wonderful teacher? Or thinking back, was there anything about her? Let's say, the methods that she used.: that's I don't: know how, good.
0: I don't know how empathetic she was. I think she was just so interested like not saying that in a bad way. yeah, but I don't recall me being like, "Oh, I feel like I can you know open my soul to this mm-hmm. person." But I just think that she loved the language so much, yeah. that her passion for the, mm-hmm. the the stuff that she was trying to teach us was so great that she wanted to teach it in really, really deep mm-hmm. levels. And I remember the detail that she went into. Rather than making us find it, she really helped me understand what mm-hmm. I was trying to read. Because I couldn't do that. And I still struggle with that. I'm yeah. much better now. And the more the older I get, you know, and the wiser I get, um, and the more language I have to look at, the more I can kind of read past it. But I'm never going to read as deep into something as someone who's naturally gifted in that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then I don't really feel, I think, you know everyone can read a poem differently and actually fundamentally it doesn't really matter once yeah, you believe the what point. you're reading yeah exactly
2: and but, it's all about your interpretation as well but when I was at school
0: yeah. I thought that I was stupid because I couldn't understand the underlying meaning of this poem but now that I'm older and a bit wiser I'm like well actually once you find meaning in it that's the most important thing that matters yeah. you know? yeah. mm-hmm. but I don't know whether that would give you an English um, pass your exam. You know, you have to, <laughs> that's the problem,
2: isn't it? Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, unfortunately, in exams, it's what they want you to say rather than necessarily your own creative expression. Exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> you said my f- least favorite and favorite words there, um, and that was stupid. So my favorite thing to ask people is, was there a word? That they kind of, um, that maybe someone said to you or kind of resonates with you like a horrible word. So when I do Dyslexia and Me With the Kids, they'll say words like maybe lazy or stupid or words that have been said to them. My word is careless because it was always that if I made oh, a mistake, yeah. it was a careless mistake or, you know, things like that. So is there a word sometimes that maybe?
0: That's a really interesting question. I don't think I have a word like that. I was very single minded to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. And I'm quite a driven person. So I would do everything in my power to get it better. Um, oh, I can't even think of a word. Like I heard, stu- I don't recall anyone saying to me I was stupid. Yeah. Careless, I think probably. And yeah. um, to do with spelling and stuff like that. But I I understand what you're saying, but I don't recall any
2: That's words, good. That's a, a good, good one. Yeah, but definitely. I, but I am, um,
0: even as a child, I was quite... Um, which I think is one of the other things that I was luckily as just my natural personality was that I was very outspoken and I wasn't really scared of people. So I would go up to a teacher and tell them, I don't think that's right. You know, I've got dyslexia and you need to help me with this or yeah. something. So, and I, I wish there was a way of helping all the children in the world that have problems with anything, whatever it is to have the guts to just go and ask for help. I never seemed to have a problem with that but my mum said I was born that way so I kind of feel like that in a way as a dyslexic that's one of my gifts is to have that as a personality yeah, so definitely. I would have just told them that they were wrong which I have a story about that I, when I was 14 I got um, exempt from Irish so I had gone from you know I basically was getting worse and worse at Irish in first and second year in mm-hmm. school and um, my mom anyway in the end she came to my rescue um, because they weren't listening to me and the my history teacher who was actually the vice principal at the time was marking me down for spellings when I'd already been told he'd been already told. So there was kind of no hope. But it turns out he hadn't told any of the teachers. I had told them because I used to anyone knew I met, teacher wise, I'd be like, just so you know I'm dyslexic and I'd go and sit down. <laughs> you Good know for you. Yeah. So please do that everybody. Yeah, because then yeah. they might you at least you you've opened the door. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, my mom came in and she ended up doing these graphs and I still remember the graphs. So in the subjects that required good reading and understanding of language, all my grades were dropping. And in the subjects that didn't, like maths and music, they were all rising. And she brought it into our principal, Miss Gladys Ruddick, who is who was a fantastic principal and I was lucky to have. And she was like, oh, right. OK, well, I had no idea this was a problem. The next day I had an exemption from Irish from the Department of Education. Because it was quite late. Usually Mm -hmm. you would have to get it a lot earlier. But Mm -hmm. um, I had then, at that point, I'd moved down to past level Irish. So I was, you know, in, I don't know, the fourth or the fifth class or whatever. I don't remember. But my Irish teacher, who I hadn't had for very long, because I'd had a different teacher or whatever. I don't remember the first year, I had one teacher, second year, I had another, maybe it was beginning of third year. Anyway, she, she turned around to me and gave out to me for the fact that I had been exempt from English. Oh, so lovely. this is a factor that really, when it comes to not a word, but that mm-hmm. teacher stands to my mind, because if I hadn't been quite so strong in myself, you could have found that very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so basically said, you're my best pupil, you're the best in my class, how can you possibly get exempt from Irish? And I said, well, firstly, if the Department of Education thinks I need it, then I'm pretty sure they're right. Also, the principal thinks I need it. And secondly, just because you think I'm the best in your class doesn't mean that it's helping me because I failed the whole of last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, but she said it to me on numerous occasions, and I'm like, you know... It was really making it very difficult for me and all the other subjects mm-hmm. because the amount of energy I was having to put in to actually get a pass in that was mm-hmm. important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fundamentally, that's what it's to do with. And, you know, in a way, that's the thing. Like, I'm lucky that I was naturally quite academic um, because it meant that, in a way, I didn't get told that I was stupid because they could see it other sub- mm-hmm. subjects that I was good. But it did mean that... You know, in those situations, people would think, well, why? What's her problem? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think people need to realize that we come in all shapes and colors and sizes and that if somebody thinks they have a problem, that you should take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I think that's reflected a lot um, in the classes with the kids. They talk a lot about, like, you know, people saying that they're faking and things and that uh-huh. they're, you know, getting something that they don't deserve and all that sort of stuff. But I try to explain it to them that uh, I wouldn't do my leave cert without my glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My glasses don't give me an advantage, but no. they do mean I can read the paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, you know, getting... The help and support that you require because of your dyslexia is not getting an advantage. It's no. just bringing you mm-hmm. up to the same
2: level as everyone else.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I know. And I suppose it's also that thing of putting the child's interests first in anything. You know that kind of principle as well that, and I think Do you sometimes, think that exists
0: in education? Well I know I think sometimes
2: <laughs> sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge and I do think the issue with subjects like I wonder with that Irish oh. teacher if there's an element of sometimes I think teachers take it personally.
0: Yeah she took it personally You know
2: when it's actually it's not it's about her and it her. shouldn't be about her it's no. about you as the you know the young student yeah. and having your needs recognised in, yeah. in that. In mm-hmm. that respect
0: like when it comes to the leaving cert like like now I've lived in the UK for 12 years or whatever so I know a little bit about the British system and you've got, if you're doing the same, it's A-levels. So you Mm -hmm. get to choose like, well I can see now like the range of subjects they have. I don't know in Ireland but like as a dyslexic person or whatever, you could basically do all practical subjects and still get A-levels which I I don't know whether it was possible when I was in Ireland. I don't know enough about it now. But um, I think if I'd done an A-levels, I probably could have gotten straight A's because I would have just done the subjects I was good at. Whereas for me, having to do English, French and um, well I luckily I got out of Irish but English and French and what was it there was another subject maths that I struggled with been. the maths was fine well, maths yeah you had to math, do yeah. maths yeah. But if you had to do maths and you find it really hard mm-hmm. yeah God, yeah, because with maths in a way it's even worse because it's either right or wrong oh, yeah. at least in English yeah. there's some a little bit of
2: yeah, you know, compassion you. Yeah. yeah 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 subjectivity yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. that's
0: true yeah so
2: i'd love to know you've talked a little bit anna about some of the strategies that you use that you really like visuals and movement and everything like that but um how do you feel about technology we'll say in terms of you know assistive tech or you know what you can get on your phone or your laptop does any of that work for you Um,
0: i haven't used it to be
2: honest um i actually i don't know
0: whether it's because i did that two years in multimedia that's kind of turned me off computers okay Um, now i do use computers and i um and obviously, I use phone or whatever. And but there are things in technology like I, I, you know, you can get this thing called Four Score, which is basically you can get your music scores on a tablet, oh, okay. and you can oh, add loads good. of different colours and stuff like that. And I think that that
2: could be. brilliant. can You can customize this. There is
0: another mm-hmm. product, and I will find out the name of it because I went and I spoke at the British Dyslexia Association Music Day, so yeah, I mm-hmm. have heard about some of these products. But because mm-hmm. I haven't needed them myself, I didn't actually. Absorb mm-hmm. the names of them, yeah. which is um, normal for me. But actually, I have the opposite problem. Like like I said about the learning and thing, I find learning on screens impossible. Mm-hmm. For me, the only upside of technology is that I can type, and actually I can type faster um, if I'm trying to actually get something out. Like if I'd been able to type at school, I think, um, like essays and stuff, mm-hmm. I think I might have achieved more because my hand, even though I now use, I need the visual or the mental connection of brain to hand to paper to help me understand the text if I then had been able to type I would find it much easier to write in English Mm -hmm. and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so for me uh, typing was definitely something I don't know if it was to do with the action Mm -hmm. but I I find screens quite hard because I think it's for me also I like to use different positions and Mm -hmm. with screens like say for instance like a Kindle so I do use a Kindle I love the Kindle Mm -hmm. and actually from a reading from an enjoyment point of view the Kindle is perfect Because you can adapt the fonts. I don't know whether they have this. It is this dyslexia font now. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Dyslexia is one of the fonts. We mm-hmm. generally yeah. say that any kind of an open font but the is open, good. Yeah. So yeah, like
0: Arial, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find, yeah, the font makes a big difference yes. to me in terms of how I can read it. Mm-hmm. But also being able to get it at the right size. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so in that respect, like Kindles are fabulous. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I'm actually trying to learn yeah, rather than just read for mm-hmm. pleasure... I need other elements. I need Mm -hmm. to kind of create a 3D picture, and technology to me is one-dimensional. Okay. So... Sorry, I don't, yeah. Well, no, but you're, but you're
1: like you are speaking about technology mm-hmm. that you do use as well. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, some people are really big into podcasts or audiobooks. Some people love, oh, that them. side yeah. of it.
0: Yeah, I suppose I'm kind of just thinking in work mode, which is always yeah. just trying to learn language. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, yeah, my father listens to audiobooks and I actually have listened to them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's great when you're walking and stuff mm-hmm. like oh, that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But mm-hmm. then, um, I actually quite enjoy reading books now, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Success. Good job. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. fantastic. <laughs> now i get to ask this question so it's only when there's two dyslexics on the panel that this question is asked on the okay. podcast <laughs> and it is that if we had developed a magic pill that would take your dyslexia away would you take it in the morning now yeah
0: right now now i wouldn't yeah but when i was a teenager i would have. i think um well, I don't know whether I, to be honest, I don't know whether I take the pill to get rid of all my dyslexia. Is that the only yeah.
1: option? <laughs> there's no selective button. We have no, there's no bits of dyslexia that we can
0: remove. It's all or nothing. Yeah. And right now I definitely wouldn't. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as a teenager when I was struggling with stuff, I might have. Yeah. Um, but I think fundamentally I don't think I would be the, as creative as I am. I also don't think I would be as mentally challenged as I am. Yeah. If I didn't have dyslexia yeah and um, the bit that i would remove if it was possible is the emotional stress that it caused me and in yeah. a way the mm-hmm. emotional stress um that you get as a child it's very hard for that not to inform the way you deal with things as an adult mm-hmm. yeah and i mm-hmm. think in that respect actually that's something worth talking about i think it is worth going to a psychologist to talk about the issues you have to do with that just mm-hmm. yeah have someone to talk nothing to do with dyslexia but mm-hmm because we all hold these scars and I've had to deal with that because I'm a performer. So I yeah. sing from my soul all the time. I can't afford to not be open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have dealt, I've had a former psychologist and mm-hmm. I spoke to her about all of these issues and I have dealt with them because there's always those moments, like you said, do you remember somebody saying certain yeah. words to mm-hmm. you? You still remember those moments and it's to yeah. try and actually see them in a positive light mm-hmm. and to remove the negativity about them because otherwise I feel like as adults we go around and if we're um, confronted with that situation that we immediately put up our defences and I go back
1: to being 10 again Yeah, and
0: I still have that and I do find it in and I I can feel the feeling now because we're talking about it yeah Mm -hmm. if I could remove that I would because I don't think that's nice for anybody Mm -hmm. no but please everybody doesn't matter how how old you are work on it
1: yeah
0: don't let it become something that inhibits you
1: Yeah, yeah definitely but we're not taking the magic pill today. No, we're
2: definitely not taking no. the pill. No. That's good. That's yeah. two. Of us. <laughs> but speaking of magic, you're you mentioned that you're going to be performing in the magic flute. So I am. tell us about that, because I'm sure yeah, some people exciting. would absolutely love to go along and hear you.
0: Yeah, so the magic flute uh, by Mozart uh, is I'm doing with Irish National Opera. So Irish National Opera was founded at the beginning of last year, um, and it's our first actual national opera company, and uh, they're doing. Quite a lot of productions every year, and they're also been great at um showing off Irish talent, particularly you know, people who live at home, but also people who have been abroad, and actually the Irish audiences might not necessarily have heard of because they're not travelling all over the world hearing opera. Okay. So to actually bring us home is really brilliant, because you know yeah. I've been living away for twelve years. Um, I don't sing a huge amount in Ireland. I do. I recently I have. I do lots of concert work, but this is only my second actual opera production in Ireland. Mm-hmm. well, wow. yeah. I did uh, Agrippina with Opera Collective Ireland about three and a half years ago, which was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, it the best thing is coming home and actually just working with loads of Irish people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, living with family and all of that kind yeah. of thing, all of that side of it's great. But also the best thing is to bring, you know, to sing to Irish people. To actually to like my friends, to try mm-hmm, and yeah. encourage new people to come mm-hmm. and like um to make it like a national event, you know. Mm-hmm. So um so we're doing the magic flute and we are opening in Wexford Opera House um on the 17th of May. Then we do a concert performance in Limerick on the 19th of May, because we're doing it in collaboration with mm-hmm. the Irish Chamber Orchestra, mm-hmm. um who are fantastic. And then we come to Dublin. So we're in The Gaiety from the 21st of May until the 25th, I think. So we're du- in in uh, Dublin, we're double cast. So Jennifer Davis, another Irish soprano, is singing Pamina as well. She's doing three of the shows because it's all been condensed into a week and I can't possibly sing uh, yeah, six, yes. six shows in five, four days or something like that because my voice will give up. Um, so we're sharing the role. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so please come. And if anybody, any particular, particularly anybody dyslexic who has any questions, please try and find me or come and knock on stage door and say, I heard you. And I just wonder, can you help me? Because I'm more than happy. Or if anyone's on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, just find me there and I'll answer your questions, you know, but uh, just come and enjoy it
1: excellent thank you very much Anna this has been a lovely and it's really nice to get to talk to kind of people in lots of different careers and you're definitely our first singer which is very exciting yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: yes, I'm sure it's a, a real uh, pleasure in fact I fairness, think we're gonna to have to book a staff night out of the opera I, think so too.
0: <laughs> I come across so many musicians that are dyslexics you know and yeah. people that actually it's funny because I would never have thought that they were and, yeah, then, yes. and then something comes up because I say it yeah and I'm like yeah I and I'm like, oh I am too and then it's like okay well how do you do this so it's like great yeah. let's all die together and think about all the possible different ways we have of learning this yeah language. learn effort. from each other mm-hmm. yeah so actually yeah. in a way you should all have little dyslexic groups to work on how everyone learns and we'll have mm-hmm. a dyslexic music collective yeah exactly
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for listening to This and That, our Dyslexia Ireland podcast. Please tell your friends and family about it um, and make sure to spread the spread the love in relation to dyslexia. Um, we will be back soon and we'd like to say a big thank you to uh, Anna and Rosie for joining us today.